Growing up sucks. Just ask Eric Lauber, father of three 20-somethings and a college professor for decades. Eric helps young adults get smarter, richer, healthier, and happier on the adulting podcast, Growing Up Sucks. Hey, welcome back to the show, Heather. I know that uh, we've talked to you before, but I'm excited about today's topic because we're talking about money and who doesn't want more money or want to learn how to manage their money better. And I do have some advice on that topic, but as always, before we do that, remind us who you are again. Uh, My name's Heather. I'm 23 years old, a recent college graduate with a bachelor's in journalism. Very excited about it. Uh, Currently working three jobs, so that's exciting. (laughs) Uh, You're just trying to make ends meet until you get that full-time journalism public relations job, right? Yep, trying to save up some money. Good for you. And I I know, let's start here. You're unique in that you didn't go to college right out of high school, correct? That's right. Tell us a little bit about that. So I did high school from freshman year to senior year all online. I was cyber schooled and it was a personal choice. I just didn't like the high school where I was at and I didn't excel very well. Um, So I did senior year and junior year together in high school and I was able to graduate early. So I actually graduated in 2015 rather than 2016, which is when I was supposed to. Um, So it was either, I lived at home, so my mom gave me the choice of either college or get a job. And at the time, after doing so much of high school all in one shot, I was done with school. I wanted nothing else to do with school. I figured I learned um, all that I could learn, and I wanted to, like, get out into the real world. So I applied for a job at a local grocery store, and I moved around a lot in that job um, before settling in one department. And I was 17 when I started. And I started about three months before my 18th birthday. By the time I turned 18, I was working 60 plus hour shifts. And I was working 12 to 14 hours a day. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it was, was there a reason? Was it overtime? Did they just need you that much? Um, The department I was in didn't really have a lot of people in it and it was myself the manager and the assistant manager that was it and the assistant manager the um assistant manager was going through some personal health problems so they kind of didn't they they kind of moved me up I guess you could say um into her position without the title. So I was pulling my weight in the department plus her weight in the department. And it was, I would work eight hours, then go home for half an hour and then go back. And it was, it was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. And you did that for two years and then you went off to college. Yep. After two years, I hit my breaking point and decided that I needed out of that situation And of course, my mom was like, well, I still lived at home. So she was like, well, you have to either get another job or go to college. So I chose college. (laughs) Most that's not the reason most people go to college is they're tired of a full time job. But yeah, (laughs) at at your age, at least. But I've I've seen people do that at my age. So uh, we're going to talk money today. So you you we're going to get into what college is like because you've done that. But before that, let's talk about these two years. So sounds like you made a lot of money, but you may not have had much chance to spend it because you were too busy. Yeah, we um, I mean, it was a minimum wage paid job. Um, 
But because I lived at home and because I was 18, my mom wanted to teach me a lot of responsibility, which is understandable. And I agree wholeheartedly with that decision. At the time, I didn't. But now looking looking back, that does happen um, occasionally. Yeah. Uh, She, I mean, obviously, I paid my entire phone bill. That was my responsibility. You know, I'm the one who's using it. I'm the one who's waste, who's using all the um, Wi-Fi and space on it. So that was my responsibility right when I first got it. But um, after getting the job, she had me pay half the rent and she had me pay half the bills. We rented we rented our house from a separate landlord, but she, my mom acted like my landlord in a sense. Uh And I would pay half of the household supplies, like cleaning supplies, paper towels, dish soaps, things like that. Um, But that showed you what it costs to really live in a house. I mean, it was just the two of you and you were 18. So it's almost like your roommates in a sense there for a bit. Yeah. That's that's what she said. And that's what she said. So you were paying, Half of what it costs to run a house, like food, half the food bill, all that stuff, half utilities. Cool. So um, did you have spare money left over or would that, did that soak everything up? No, I had a little bit left over. Um, I started getting an allowance when I was 13. So she would pay me 20 bucks every two weeks. That was my allowance. Um, I didn't usually, I I mean, I've been more of a saver than a spender. (laughs) Uh, I think my biggest item I spend money on are my books. I like to read. So I, I buy massive amounts of books that I regret throughout the years, but um, I did have some leftover. It was, it was a low amount, but it was enough to like, if I needed shampoo or I need, or I wanted a new outfit or a new piece of jewelry I saw or a new book, I would have enough leftover to at least start saving towards it, if not buy it right away. Okay. And you sound like you're pretty good at saving then. You're not an excessive spender. You didn't have a credit card to go into debt with? No, she she didn't allow me to. <laughs> All right. That's good advice. I, I Just as contrast, I want to tell you what we did with our kids. And not that any of our listeners can go back in time and make this happen for themselves. But my wife, I'm giving her all the credit for this, came up with the idea of their very first job. And for all of them, it was like 15. A third of it went to us. A third of it went to savings. And a third of it they can spend. And that was after taxes were taken out, which is very minimal for a 15-year-old. And that was from the get-go. So they never knew anything else until they left our house. (laughs) And went to college and got other jobs in college. And they're like, wow, I get to keep this money. And we still made them pay their phone bill. They're still paying their phone bill because they're on our family plan. But a third, a third, and a third. And they had always had savings because we made them put it in there. And of course, that ended up being some college expense money for them when they wanted it. Or, and I think they all contributed to their car too that they got. So I don't know that our listeners have a chance to go back in time, but Really, that's a great way to learn how not to overspend is to carve up your money right away and put it in pockets. They even recommend sometimes you put it in envelopes with names on it. If you don't do this electronically, you can do it physically. Put envelopes, when you get your paycheck, split it immediately up into the envelopes. And one of those is free cash or, or stuff that you can spend on, you know, whatever you wish, you know, the kind of the fun stuff, but you got your bills paid and all that kind of stuff. So now you've been in college and you worked through college. You try to help put yourself through. Yep. I, um, I held throughout college uh, one to two jobs 
regularly. Where I was in you... the uh, college work study program for a while. Uh-huh. And I worked, wage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I worked at the uh, student newspaper the majority of my time. So I did have two sources of income. So did you, did you have classes on budgeting and finance and making your life work financially? Nope, never. Never, even though never. you've been through college and high school? Never. So how do you learn this stuff? Do you, do you um, find sources? Do you just learn it by accident? Your mom? I think growing up and like, I mean, my mom and I never really talked about budgeting either, which I find a little strange. Like we never really, I mean, math has never been my strong suit. I'll start with that. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't math balance a checkbook, obviously. never been my strong suit. Um, I can add, I can subtract, and I can multiply, and I can divide, and that's all I need to know. That's all you need for finances. Yeah. <laughs> no calculus in finances, so go ahead. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully. Um but I would watch her, you know, I still do it. I still live at home. So I still watch her occasionally. Um, but she really never did teach me how to balance a checkbook or school, like high school math classes were just your basic average math classes, calculus or, um, algebra or adding letters into math, which who knows who came up with that idea. That's but algebra. Okay. <laughs> I, will, I will go back. Idea. You did um, not have a home economics class or something like that where they went over checkbooks and stuff. We had, so we had home ec in middle school. Ah. Um, but it was more, it, it, they did not go over anything finances. They taught the girls, this is going to sound so bad. They taught the girls how to cook and clean and they taught the guys how to dress nice and go out and job search. But the girls weren't allowed to have those classes. Oh. Like, I was very upset over. Junior high. <laughs> guys going out on job searching at age 13. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll skip. I don't even know where you're from. Don't say it out loud now because I think we'll get a bunch of hate mail. Um, <laughs> all right. So I, I really wish that um, every young adult, would take a finance class or a home economics class again, even if they had it, because it's a different situation. So yeah. I think there's the high school situation. I think there's college. I think there's young adults who don't go to college. That's a third. And then there's a fourth kind of like when you get that first job after college and maybe you have more money than you're used to. And you're like, what do I do with this? Yeah. So we haven't got time to break all that down, but I do want to mention that some people are shocked by the cost of things. And, and they get, they get over, they get overspent, right? And you never want to do that for one reason. I've talked previously in the show about being wealthy. Being wealthy means you live on passive income. You make money with your money and you don't have to work to make that money. Now, this is what people want in their retirement, right? They want to have enough money that they can live off that. And they're not working. They can just live until you know, they die. Some people want that before they retire. Maybe it'd be great to be wealthy at 55 or 45. All the strategies demand that you live below your income and invest the difference. So you have to take that. Now, I don't think you're ready for that yet, right? You don't have that big first job yet. You're still on the job market. But when you get that, I want you to immediately start thinking like that. I have to live below this total. And it's easier today than ever before because every company has a 401k plan or retirement plan. And keep in mind that if they match your dollars, that's free money that you're leaving on the table if you don't match. So if it's a 5% match, you put in all of the 5%. And you get 5% free money from them that just goes right into your retirement account. 
And that will start very, very small. It won't look like much. I remember my oldest thinking he only had like a thousand dollars at the end of that first year and he didn't leave it in there. But if you leave it in there 30 years from now, that's 10,000, that's 30,000, that's a hundred thousand dollars just from that one $1,000 investment. So you have to leave it in. So it compounds. So leave, living below your means. And the cool thing about the 401ks now is you don't even see it because it comes out of your paycheck before you even see it. So then you can do your budgeting with what's left over. So that's my advice to everybody. Whatever you get a 401k or a pension plan offered to you, max it out. Max it out right away. You're going to thank me years from the road because you're responsible for your financial future. You're not just responsible for now. You're responsible for Heather 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Nobody else is in charge of you from now on. It's you. And you got to take care of that Heather by investing wisely now. And we'll go into some details some other time about how to invest. The other thing I thought I'd share though, is a lot of people start thinking about buying a house, buying a car, you know, getting those big first purchases. And not all three of my kids did the same way. I think one of them made a little mistake and overbought the first car. If you look at, you just Google this, this is easy to find. How much of your income should you spend on your house as you buy a house? 25% is what they say of your monthly income. Not more than that. So if you make, let's say, 3,000 a month, that, that comes up to 36,000 a year, you should be spending 1,000 a month on your mortgage, mortgage and possibly insurance and taxes. If you make 4,000 a month, you get a little bit more, you get 1,250 bucks, if I'm doing the math right. <laughs> what about a car? Well, there's something called the 24-10 rule. Have you heard that before? I've heard it, but I don't know what it is. All right, the 24-10 rule says, it's best to put down 20% on the car, at least down payment, right? You shouldn't finance for more than four years. So your loan shouldn't be five years, shouldn't be six years, which is where my, one of my kids got in trouble. They financed, I think, for five or six years to try to get their payment down. But then when they wanted to get rid of the car two to three years in, they're what you call upside down. They owed more than the car was worth because they bought a new car and they depreciate very quickly. As soon as you drive them off the lot, they lose massive percentage points of their value. So he got caught not being able to even trade it in for what he owed. So that's partly because he wanted to get his payment too low. And the maximum of your payment should be 10% of your monthly revenue, or your monthly income. So that's 25% on your house and maybe a 10% of your monthly income on your car to pay the loan if you get a loan for a car. Of course, the better thing is don't take a loan. Wait till you have the money and then buy the car. Because whenever you borrow money, you end up paying more than you think because you're paying the interest for years and years and years. Now, you're not at that stage, but you, know, you do have, what, college expenses. So was it a surprise what college costs beyond tuition and room and board? Um, at first, I didn't really pay any attention to it. I was excited. It's like that freshman moment where it's a big new open world. So you're really excited and you don't care about the money. And I, um, I used to joke, like, I was just like, Oh, take all my money. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think once I hit probably the spring semester junior year, because that's when you start thinking about graduating the next year and you start having to look at your loans and look at what's due and everything. 
that's when I realized like college is expensive and <laughs> having yeah. to not only pay for college, but pay for books and pay for supplies and pay for on top of that, if you live off campus in your own place, rent and bills. And I pay at the time. And even now I paid for about two streaming services plus my phone, plus half the rent and the bills are included in the rent where we live. Thank mm -hmm. God for that. But um, like adding oh, it all up. together, it's just, it's a lot. So let me, let me make you and others aware that when you go to a college uh, cost of attending website, or the university provides that for you, which I think they're mandatory, they have to do now. So they will give you an estimate. There's certain things not included in that. So what's included is obviously tuition. Sometimes there's incidental fees, like uh, one of my kids had a mandatory parking fee, whether they had a car or not. Sometimes there's a, a health or a gym fee or something, some other kind of fees. That, that's in there. Obviously, if you live on campus, they'll give you a cost for room and board. If you live off campus, they'll adjust that to kind of an average of what it costs to room and board off campus. But what they don't include is transportation, yeah. going back and forth, home. You know, a lot of uh, students live hours away. So is that a plane ride? Is that a train? Is it a car? It still costs. Transportation, just commuting to campus. If you live five miles away, you now have commuting expenses and a parking pass. Maybe you had to buy that. They don't include things like entertainment expenses, like you want to go to a show, yep. go out. At personal items, they don't include shampoo, toilet paper, you know, all the stuff you might have to need just to kind of get through the day or through the week, cost of clothing, like wearing clothing, washing clothing. So I found a website from the college board. That's, that's the big people, right? So they do this pretty accurately. They say for a public university, that cost can might add to, at last year alone, added up to $3,400. Well, that, that's on top of the college calculator that was on your college's website. So if they said your college cost $26,000, it cost $29,400. Wow. Because of all those additional costs. And who's going to pay for that? that? That has to be factored in. Mm-hmm. So everybody out there should be aware. It's more expensive than you think. And of course, books are randomly expensive. You can have a really expensive semester. You can have a really cheap semester. You just don't yeah. know. So what the college people do is they kind of average it out. And look, you can find cheaper ways by renting. Maybe it's on the library and you go there and read it. You know, maybe you borrow it from a friend and you share. There's ways to save money that way. I do recommend you get the books though. Don't skip getting the books. Yeah. So there's a lot to that uh, of, of expenditures that people have to calculate in. So that's where that third and a third and a third made sense. Cause when our kids were like, well, a third goes to the bills. Yeah. A third just, I could go to savings cause I need to pay for those incidental expenses down the road that are unexpected like shampoo. And then maybe a portion of this, I get to spend on entertainment and going out and doing things. Do you, um, did you ever look for financing financial information online? Um, I, googled it a few months back um like i said i'm a recent graduate so obviously i was trying to figure out like student loans and figure out how to um not only budget but also the fine like how to do those finances and how to do i guess adult financing yeah. <laughs> um and google does have a lot of resources they do offer a lot of resources but 
at the same time, it's very overwhelming because Google is the biggest search engine. So it's going to give you millions upon millions of different pages of different sources and different how to's and watch this video, but watch this video, but read this article. And it's just a lot of it also weirdly contradicted one another too. And I get it's finding like what works best for you and your situation and, you know, the amount of income you have and everything. But it's just, it's overwhelming. I, I broke down to the point I went to my mom because she is a kind of math whiz. Like she's really good with numbers. So I was like, you need to explain everything to me. No budgeting process. Yeah. And by the way, we're leaving off of the table today, credit scores, which is something that young people should worry about. But I talk about it in another episode and, and we'll talk down the road because it's more complicated than I want to get into today. Yeah, so I do want to mention there are apps. There are apps like Wallet or Mint or I'm sure there's many more that will help you budget and you can set up reminders. Some of them may link to your bank account so you can kind of access the money through the budgeting app so that you don't overspend or it says to you, look, you look like you're gonna buy clothes. You already spent your clothes budget. When you were really serious about that, let's talk about it. I'll mention to you, by the way, that banks sometimes do this for free as well. They will help you with your budget. Uh, and they love doing this for two reasons. One, they love young customers because they want you as a customer for life, right? So they get you hooked into their banking system. My son got onto a bank here, went hours away, kept that bank, moved again, kept that bank. He's never switched banks. He's been in that same bank for more than 10 years, even though he's not even lived in the city. Of course, nowadays you can be online and do all your banking that way. Um, so th they love that. So they would love to meet you and help you out as much as they can but also because they have an obligation to do financial education. Uh, there's, there's a requirement that banks spend so much time or money on educating the public about financial stuff. And uh, I don't know if one-on-one -on -one sessions count. I know they can do it in the classroom, but they'd like to do that. And they have the materials already pre-built. You can walk in and say, can you help me figure out how to budget as a 20 something year old? And I go, yeah, yeah, we'll sit down. And that's that, you get that personalized one-on-one. -on -one. Now, if your bank doesn't, then just look around because I'm sure there's other banks that do that. The thing, like you said, is if you start Googling, you just get so much. It's like a fire hose. You can't, you can't drink it, right? So you do have to narrow it down and just maybe pick one resource that you, that you have trust in that will guide you through that process. And for that, I would recommend big names like Motley Fool or Susie Orman or uh, rich, rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that's a book that I love to reference. Any of these folks have these kinds of help, but you know, they're, they're tr they know they've been worked out. Lots of people have done it. Lots of people have given them feedback. If they were crappy, people would know by now. And they're not crappy. When you go to something you've never heard of and you start adopting their technique, eh, I don't know, there's thousands of people try that. Susie Armand's been around for a long, long time. She's, her, her methods work. So that's the kind of recommendation I make to folks out there. And I don't like to endorse any particular app or approach to budgeting, just to mention that, that, that that's something that you should start thinking about soon and be on top of. I want to mention one other topic you didn't bring up yet. Have you ever bought insurance, paid no. for insurance? So you don't have a car, right? Nope. Okay. If you had a car, like my kids, I also made them pay the insurance. That was a cost. They needed to understand that up front. Of course, if you buy a house, you'd want to probably get home insurance. 
if you buy a house and you don't put enough money down, they'll make you pay what's called PMI. And that's insurance that the bank gets, meaning that they'll collect that extra money until you get to 20% down payment or equity. So that in case you default, they still get some more money out of you and they can, the insurance company will pay for the difference. Um, insurance is another tricky topic. Uh, I can only say a couple of quick things about it. One, insurance companies know that there's a lot of inertia and people don't switch very often at all. In fact, I think I've switched twice in my life. <laughs> my auto insurance, it's just inertia. The rates climb up gradually and I just forget about it and don't, and don't do anything about it. I should, I should be much more active and go back on the market and switch more often because I'll get a better rate and a better deal. Um, but that's just something to be aware of. And, and the second thing is um, financial planners will want you to buy life insurance right away. Yeah. I, I want to hesitate and say, look, think about that. Like who, who gets the money and what are they going to do with it and why do they need it? I didn't get life insurance until I had kids. Then it was like, well, if I die, we're going to miss out that income. My wife can't support us, our lifestyle with just her income. So I want to complement that with my life insurance policy. But I got a term life insurance policy that expired in 20 years because I knew in 20 years, the kids would be gone. I will probably have a nest egg saved up. Maybe the house will be paid off. My wife wouldn't need that money. She could live on her own from then on. Why would I be giving my money to other people? And all they're going to do is invest it and make more money off my money. Mm -hmm. Why don't I invest it myself and keep that, all that money? So you have to be kind of, uh, um, I think, smart about the life insurance game. Again, there's much more about it today. And I think you're maybe a little young to think about it. When you have someone else in your life and you become financially responsible for them, I think that's the time to start doing that. Now, the, I will mention though that many companies will offer it as a perk and that's awesome. Like I get a small policy for free with the company that I'm in. That's nice. I went and bought separate and, and more additional. And if I lost this job, I would lose that life insurance perk. So when you get your first job, you might get some life insurance as a perk. And if it costs a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, like, oh sure, fine. That's great. But uh, don't, don't jump in too deep on life insurance unless there's a reason somebody needs the money if you disappear. I actually, at the doctors, like doctor's appointments and stuff, um, before I moved where I live now, I was never asked this question. And then when I moved here and switched doctors and everything, every time I'm asked, do you have um, life insurance and do you have a living will? And I'm like, hmm. I don't need either of those. <laughs> Well, living will, on the other hand, I do agree with because the living will, even at your age, takes you through a process of answering a set of questions. And some of those, you, they may want to know the answer to, like, do you want to be on life support? You know, even if you're terminally brain dead, you know, there's a lot of really tricky ethical questions that you really don't want to leave to the, to the distraught family member who's trying to make that decision in a split second. If it's all written out and you've made your intentions known, people can just follow the script and the living will. So that, I'm a big fan of living wills. I mean, we, as soon as we had kids, we got ours done. I think that's a good idea. Uh, but the life insurance, you know, we'll talk more on another day about that, but it's something that you really just, you gotta think about because it is an expense. And uh, essentially the life insurance company has the odds in their favor. They have all this data about what's the likelihood you're going to die. And they price so that they make money. 
right? Most of these people aren't going to die. And if they do, we're going to prize it so that we still come out ahead. Well, I don't want to play a losing insurance game unless I absolutely have to. So that's why I didn't buy it until I needed it. So Heather, what's one more piece of advice you have for uh, young people? Definitely when you go shopping, think before you buy, make sure it's a need and not just a want. Um, I'm guilty of that. I enjoy shopping. I will buy something just because I want it. Um, But it's not always a necessity and it's not always a need. And it's okay to splurge once in a while, you know, buy yourself something nice. You don't have to be a stickler all the time, but but it's um, within your budget though, right? You're not, you're right. not spending money you don't have. No. You're not like, putting it on a credit card and saying, well, I'll pay it off. <laughs> no. no, if it's a little extra money I have and I'm a big, uh, like I said, I'm a big book fan. I love to read. So if there's a new book coming out that, you yeah. know, hardbacks are a little more expensive than paperbacks, but I enjoy hardbacks. So if hardbacks are usually 30, $35. And if I know that that's not my extra that I have, available i'll either save it or not buy that at that time so yeah well uh by the way i'm going to get you a kindle so you can get all your books for a dollar 90 i have a kindle fire. Oh, my, my wife's a huge reader. i'm sorry say again i don't use it for books though what my wife made the switch and saved us so much money because she reads <laughs> every books a week basically and the kindle has saved us a ton of money so i recommend that Good advice. Make sure it's a need, not a want. Until you get to a point in your life where you've got a lot of spare cash, after you've done everything I've already said, right? Invested in your own future. But even then, you got to kind of weigh the balance, the costs and benefits, right? One more piece of advice I'll share. People who research this, how should you spend your money? Almost unanimously say you should spend your money on experiences, not things. Right. You will have more satisfaction and get more out of the money if you spend it on experiences, not just something you can put in a corner, not just something you can own. Think about that. All right, we're going to wrap up today. Heather, thanks for being my guest again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Growing Up Sucks podcast with Eric Lauber. 